Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Tired of the negative news and flash over substance? It's time for Today with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and Ph.D. with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamlined, news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. Well, we always have our selection of many guests, many news stories, good, bad, ugly, uh, cloud, silver lining. I mean, there's just so many things going on in the world and so many fascinating people to interview that uh, my co-host, Larry, um, insisted on inviting a, a particular guest on the show to uh, be interviewed. And uh, Larry, who, who do we have for the first half? Yes, Wendy, it's actually you. Uh, Wendy Patrick, (laughs) what a surprise. Wendy Patrick is a career prosecutor, ordained Christian minister with a PhD in theology, a public speaker, and published author. She teaches at Trinity Law School, Veritas University, University of San Diego, and San Diego State University. In her spare time, she performs with the La Jolla Symphony as a concert violinist, and she's amazing, folks. I've, I've listened to her. We've heard her play. Amazing. And she plays the electric violin professionally with a rock band well dr wendy has just come out with a new book titled why bad looks good with the subtitle biblical wisdom to make smart choices in life love and friendship and we wanted to find out a little bit about it and why it's a must read for our listeners so first of all i'd like to say it's an honor and a privilege for me to get the chance to interview our star of our show wendy patrick so how are you doing today, wendy Oh, terrific, Larry. And, you know, it was, it was just a delight to have you suggest that I talk about the book a little bit. You know, um, by the way, for our listeners, Larry also plays in a rock band, a different one than I do. But, you know, he really sells himself. He's so humble, you wouldn't know the amazing things he does behind the scenes as well. But, you know, this particular book uh, really encapsulates the, what's been on my heart for many years is how can we teach other people to separate danger from desire? How can we let them know that bad might look good, but you've got to know more about somebody, about something, about a business venture, about a job, about a, a, somebody you're interested in romantically. You have to know more about what you can see on the surface or tell maybe in a preliminary conversation online to be able to make good choices. And given my Christian background, which Larry shares as well, um, you know, there's so many scriptures in the Bible. I can't tell you how many thousands of times over the years I've come across a, a passage of scripture and thought, this is exactly what so-and-so needs to read. You know, somebody that maybe doesn't even have any particular faith that they subscribe to because the biblical wisdom that's in the world's bestseller, i.e. the Bible, that's something you're not going to find in the self-help section of the bookstore because that's not where they put the Bible. But you will find it easily if somebody indexes it for you. And that's what I've done in my most recent book, 26 chapters of easy-to-find indexed scripture to help you 
from everything from happiness to love to to making good decisions in business, uh, separating friends from frenemies. I mean, one thing after another, there are so many uh, little bits of wisdom that can make your life better that we find in the Bible. Yeah, it's so amazing, Wendy. I uh, almost ordered a Kindle version of it, and I decided to get the actual book itself uh, from Amazon, and I'm so glad I did. It's just the perfect book. It's got a a, a ribbon bookmarker in there. Uh, you can. It is so. The, the, it's so readable, and it's you know where was that book when I was growing up? I could have used some of those tips actually. But um, so so you, you you talk in your book about how a person uh, to avoid many of the pitfalls of life needs to develop discernment. That's a key point there. So first of all, what is discernment, and why should people want to acquire more of it? Well, discernment is a great word because you can think about it from through a secular lens and then through a faith faith-based life. Now, some people are, you know, naturally perceptive. Of course, that comes from God, too. But uh, for those of us that need a little bit more, uh, we are lucky enough to have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us to help us discern situations. But let me give an example to our audience, no matter what faith tradition you have, if any. We have all had the experience of being introduced to somebody that just makes us feel uneasy or we're in a relationship that makes, or in a business venture that we just feel unsettled. Guess what? That's called intuition. That's instinct. That's gut reactions. That is the sense that we're all gifted with that. If we listen to it, will let us determine, you know what? There is something here that is not right. There's something here that I'm not at peace with this circumstance. What do we normally do? We blow past it and think, oh, that's just our problem. Well, you know what? This book is designed to help you make that distinction. Chapter one is called The Deception of Public Perception. And this has to do with the way everything goes viral that sounds like it might be interesting or fun or sensational. And it makes it almost seem normal. It it glamorizes deviance in some sense uh, in terms of the types of things people get themselves involved in. But I also have a chapter called Why When Dad Sounds Good, The Seduction of a Silver Tongue, right? That's the trial lawyer's trick. That's what's kept me in business mm, for 30 years. Yeah. But, you know, in all seriousness, there, the next chapter is bittersweet nothings, hearing what you want to hear. So many of us, you know, you talk about what our itching ears want to hear. If we only surround ourselves with like-minded people who believe exactly the same things, we're going to be unable to develop the discernment that comes with exposure to different viewpoints different ideologies, um, different faiths. And, you know, the best thing we can do if we are facing a dilemma or a hard choice is go back to people we trust. Obviously, prayer is the first place to go. But, you know, you also go to trusted family members, sort of like if for our young people listening out there, if you were to go shopping for a new suit for a job interview, you'd probably take your mother along because she's going to tell you the truth because she wants you to get the job. But so, too, we can use friends and family as, as objective sounding boards if we're in a new relationship, if we are considering a job change or whatever it is, a, a, you know, a, a vacation. Sometimes people go on these, these risky vacations and they wonder whether it's a good idea only to actually share their plans with enough people to talk them right out of it. But that's the kind of thing this book does from a biblical perspective. Perception, because there are so many scripture passages that work 
for today. Sure, it was written a long time ago, but unlike everything else in life that changes over the ages, the Bible never changes because it's the Word of God. That's right. You you tie it up so well with biblical passages put to modern day situations. And I I love that. You're always waiting, like when you go to church, like for the pastor to tie it up to what, how will this help me in my current situation? And you do that perfectly in this book. Now in the book, you know, we're all on social media these days, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, on and on. You say in your book that social media promotes a misplaced sense of safety in numbers. What do you mean by that? Sometimes people tend to think that because everybody else is doing it, that it's okay. Sort of like our parents told us, if everybody jumped off a cliff, would you just follow along? Mm. There's nothing, uh, there's this perceived normalcy when sometimes it's a vocal a vocal minority. You know, there are lots of ways in which social media is a wonderful thing. We use it in evangelism every single day. What a blessing. We call it a keyboard ministry. We're able to reach the world just, you know, through your computer in terms of encouraging, inspiring people everywhere. But safety in numbers can be a false sense of comfort when there's a, a these deviant sub-communities that support terrible things. You know, some of the, yes. the terrible mass shooter cases that we hear about, you look back to the social media, their digital profile, and you find that they've been conspiring with like-minded deviants that are planning shootings, building bombs. And sometimes if there's enough going on online that is wrong or is a negative, you might tend to think, well, a lot of people think the same way I do. And that's a shame because it's only by exposure to people that can give you alternate points of view that somehow we you know, we're able to avoid being brainwashed. You know, I grew up in an, a, an era where we, uh, well, wa- as a psychology major, we had to watch those films in college about deprogramming, mm. um, cult brainwashing. Sometimes I feel like there should be a social media deprogramming where we actually expose people, n- not right and wrong viewpoints, but different viewpoints to let them know just because you belong to a small subculture that thinks this doesn't necessarily mean that's the best way. Because sometimes if you compare that rhetoric, that language, that ideology with what's in the Bible, you'll find it is very, very different. And that's what makes it sad when people don't take the time to illuminate their walk with really the only truth out there. And, you know, I always say it's not a book about hardcore evangelism, but a place to look for guidance to make your life better, no matter who you are and what you believe. Right. Now, the among social media apps, there's also these things called dating apps. Now, this what we're going to talk about could apply to a, not only dating apps, but other apps, too. So your chapter, When Less Looks Like More, you say that even if you know your next-door neighbor in the present, you should know something about their past. Should this be applied to dating also? For example, how would you advise a woman who dates someone who seems to be a really nice guy, but who avoids talking about his past or his family? Yeah, we always say history repeats itself. And I say within a relationship, secrets are relational saboteurs. You know, they signal suspicion. There's a reason somebody is not sharing a specific portion of their life. Now, I always give everybody the benefit of the doubt. You know, I'm always the silver lining, you know, on and off the air. And there are lots of things people don't want to share because they're embarrassed. There are medical conditions and there are instances where they may have suffered childhood abuse. There are lots of valid reasons for not wanting to re-traumatize themselves and a potential partner by sharing sensitive information. But if you're not sharing anything about past relationships, I mean, none of them, then it's something to explore, let's say it that way. And the reason I write that chapter as it is, I call it Ignorance is Bliss. 
when less looks like more. Because sometimes when, you know, lust looks like love and you're in a new relationship and you're kind of interesting, sometimes the, the intrigue is sexy. It's interesting. It's, it's something to, you know, maybe fill in the blanks yourself to make somebody sound more interesting than they are. It's kind of James Bondish, but it's not healthy to be in a relationship with somebody that you know very little about. Absolutely. And that is... And That's one of the reasons I want to always tell our young people that it's important to know more than that. We're getting up against our, our hard break here. So the book is Why Bad Looks Good, folks. You can get it anywhere books are sold. I highly, highly recommend you get this book. It's going to help you and your children and anybody that you know. And don't touch that dial. We are going to be right back for a second half of Today with Dr. Wendy. Back in a flash. News cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Welcome back another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. We are very lucky to have a very entertaining guest for the second half who has done an amazing amount of work and is in the headlines today. Larry, who are we privileged to have on the line? Uh, Perhaps no issue in America has been more polarizing than the 2020 presidential election. On one side, there are claims of a stolen election, foreign infiltration of election equipment, middle-of-the-night ballot dumps, and impossible mathematical anomalies. On the other side, everything is dismissed as baseless, debunked, and conspiratorial. So why is the 2020 election still worthy of discussion? Because it goes directly to the integrity of our vote, a topic that should be of interest and concern to all of us. Our guest for this segment is Joseph Freed, who has just come out with a new book titled Debunked. An auditor reviews the 2020 election and the lessons learned that will help us understand the 2020 presidential election and why election integrity is key to the survival of our great nation. Welcome to the show, Joseph. Thank you very much, Larry. I appreciate the introduction. It's a pleasure to be here. So I hear you spent some 40 years as a CPA and auditor with prestigious firms such as Ernst & Young. You know, you've done so much in your life, and I know that you've become an author. And I'm just wondering, how do you use your professional skills that you've cultivated over the years to really expose both waste and fraud in government and the political arena nowadays? Well, you know, as I uh, watched the news coverage of the election, it, it struck me how different a real audit is from the kind of audit. You, you hear that term all the time. And I don't think many people in the election world know what an audit really is. For a real auditor, we the counting comes at the very end of the process, if it comes at all. We start by assessing risks, external, internal risks, and we then evaluate the internal control structure of the organization. It might be a business or it might be an election center to see if their internal controls uh, structure can deal with those risks. And then we start testing. We test the internal controls. We test this 
transactions themselves. And only if that checks out do we go into the counting process. If it doesn't check out, we determine that the organization is not auditable, and we stop there. We give a certified opinion unless it can be rooted in a solid foundation. So I watched what was going on with the Maricopa County audit. Remember that one with the cyber ninjas in uh, Arizona? Yes. And I, yeah, and I was very, I thought, I don't need to write a book about this because everybody's going to see what happened when, when the results are in. But it didn't happen that way. The mainstream media just went right to the issue of counting. That's all they were interested in. And they said, well, gee, Joe Biden, if anything, he picked up a few votes. End of story. But that wasn't the end of the story, because right during the audit, it was reported things that they ignored. It was reported that signature matching was completely abandoned during the election. In other words, employees of Maricopa County told the auditors, and this was reported, that we stopped matching signatures. Now, imagine you, in America, we a lot of our states don't use ID. In contrast, by the way, the 47 countries of Europe, every single last one uses hard ID. In fact, I think all but one use photo ID. So we are the outlier here. Mm. We don't use ID in many of our elections, but we supposedly are going to count on signature matching, but they didn't even do it. And signature matching at best is, is very rough, by the way, anyway. So when I saw, the, the press just skipped over that. They went right to the and end of story. It was all over. Joe Biden picked up 80 votes or something like that. Mm. Wow. So what do you think uh, about the settlement between Fox News and Dominion voting systems? Can we ever truly, uh, can we ever truly trust computer systems to tally our votes, especially when they're connected to the Internet? Yeah, well, you know, when I heard, uh, well, first of all, I did follow Sidney Powell a lot on Fox when she first came out. And I, uh, maybe I'm just more skeptical than other people, but I never got the impression that anybody on Fox was saying, this lady is telling the truth, listen to her. They did give her a platform, uh, Lou Dobbs did and uh, Maria Bartiromo gave her a platform uh, but I don't th- I don't recall. Maybe it happened. I don't recall them actually saying this lady's telling the truth. When I heard Sidney Powell, I said to myself, this lady might be right, but I think she's 10 or 15 years behind the times. Here's what happened in the last five or so years. When we, 10 or 15 years ago, there was a lack of paper backup for most of these machines, or at least a lot of the machines. So in other words, you would touch a screen, and you would, that would be your vote, and there was no way later after the fact to verify if that was true or not. So if somebody did some funny business on a machine, it was very effective because that was the election. It was over. If, if you could monkey with the machine and get it to throw the votes to one candidate, you won. Nobody could challenge it. But what's happened is in America, most of the states, and I think just about all of them at this moment, maybe a couple don't, but almost all of the states now require paper backup. So it's riskier 
to try to fool with the machines today. At the same time, cheating in other ways become much became much easier. When we started mailing out ballots in uh, 2020 on a whole scale level, why why on earth would any fraudster bother with a machine when you've got all these millions of extra ballots, and I really mean millions. For example, in Michigan, here's an example. Uh, Jocelyn Benson, the Secretary of State, took it upon herself without any history of this, without any foundation in law, to simply mail out 7.7 million ballot applications automatically, floating everywhere. Those could be filled out without ID and returned. And Less than half of them were used. So what happened to the other 3.4 million? <laughs> 3.4 million floating around. These are like little bombs ready to go off. So somebody picks them up, fills it out, sends it in. It's got his signature on it. If he's a fraudster, it's, they're going to use that to identify the ballot uh, envelope later on when it comes in. But it gets worse because then that same Secretary of State, Jocelyn Benson, immediately told her workers, you are to presume that all signatures are valid. You are not to challenge them unless you have an excellent, excellent reason you presume they're valid. My point is, you know, why fool with a machine when you can do that? You know, one of the things I think, um, you know, the uh, many people argue or at least question over the course of these, this last election, and it's not, it's not new. I mean, this, these allegations have been around forever, but we never saw them quite as front and center as, of course, we did in 2020. But, you know, they say prove it, like Larry and I in court as lawyers. Okay, you say there was ballot tampering, prove it. And one, you mentioned Sidney Powell. She and others went on television and said, you know, I wouldn't say this if I didn't have the proof to back it up. They changed algorithms. But what we didn't see is the prove it part of it. And I think that's kind of where you come from and at least saying, you know, whether you can prove it or not, that the ways in which that was even approached by both sides probably could have been a lot more comprehensive if they knew a little bit more about what an audit is. Is that right? Absolutely right. And actually, Sidney Powell sort of did a great disservice to this whole thing because she added that element that was kind of crazy to the whole process when there is meat, but I'm a meat and potatoes auditor. And I'm telling you, uh, Dr. Wendy, if there is meat and potatoes proof of problems, and I, I don't know if I should say proof, but the evidence is just about at the proof level. Wow. You know, I just before this show started, I, I was looking on the internet and it was a Rasmussen poll and they they took a poll. How likely is it that cheating affected the outcomes of some races in the last midterm elections? And 60% of the people said uh, either very likely, that's 37%, or somewhat likely, 23%. That's 60%. People think yeah. that. And I even saw videotape of, uh, of people like Amy Klobuchar, uh, Kamala Harris, when she was a senator, uh, let's see, and many others, uh, Ron, uh, Ron Wyden, Sheila Jackson Lee, all saying that these machines are hackable, going back to the machine aspect of it. And, uh, and what I don't understand, why wouldn't everybody, and I mean everybody, be in favor of voter ID? I really suspect somebody that would say, no, I'm not for voter ID. We have IDs for everything else. Right. Well, you know, uh, that that reminds me of something that's almost funny, but it's sad. 
because you hear the um, a lot of people say they mostly Democrats, frankly, say that certain marginalized communities can't handle ideas well. Therefore, they'll be their vote will be suppressed. Well, do you want to know what happened in the 2020 election in Georgia? Uh, the whole state had Fulton County, which is a majority minority. It's 62 percent minority. Fulton County, Georgia. Wow. They, their ballots flew through and got accepted at a rate of seven times the rest of the state. So they did seven times better in handling their ballots than the rest of the state. So why do they keep using that excuse that their marginalized communities can't do it? They obviously can't. Right. And we're getting a little bit short on time. I just want to get this out. So uh, our guest tonight is Joseph Freed, F-R-I-E-D, and he's got a new book out called Debunked and has a question mark after it. Debunked with a question mark. An auditor reviews the 2020 election and the lessons learned. So I just want to make sure people can pick that book up anywhere, probably. Right, Joseph? That's right. It, uh, most people get it at Amazon or Barnes and Noble, and I appreciate it. They take a look at it. Thank you. Well, we want to thank you so much for joining the show, and we want to thank our listeners you've been listening to today with Dr. Wendy. Headlines of the Silver Lining. We are wishing you a wonderful rest of your weekend. Please tune in next week, same time, with other exciting guests. We hope you have a blessed week. This is today with Dr. Wendy. Have a great week, and God bless you. Thank you for joining us for Today with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. 